Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Fabrication Friday podcast. I'm your host, Joe Fairley, certified prosthetist, 3D printing enthusiast, and owner of Ascent Fabrication. Fabrication Friday is an all-around fun time where I talk about 3D printing applications, conduct interviews with industry leaders, and much more. Come join us every Friday for an informational discussion around the evolution of the additive manufacturing field and how we utilize various digital workflows and 3D printing methods in our daily work at Ascent Fabrication. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fabrication Friday podcast. I'm your host, Joe Fairley, certified prosthetist, owner of Ascent Fabrication, and of course, 3D printing enthusiast. Um, so this week, we are going to get right into the print of the week. Uh, the print of the week was pretty interesting. Uh, so I am building a ladder shelf uh, for my my home use. Uh, my wife and I had actually you know, gone to the store, got the wood that we wanted, um, did some did some sanding, did some staining, and then did some lacquering with an acrylic finish um, and measured out exactly how we wanted the shelf to be laid out. Um, really like that kind of wood finish, um, but we're actually soon looking into uh, 3D printing these ladder shelves uh, with the Black Belt 3D printer. Um, so getting a little bit more off topic, we'll get into the black belt 3D printer at another time with some different use cases. But for this ladder shelf, uh, my wife and I wanted to, you know, put this together ourselves and make it our own. And um, I wanted some brackets to actually hold together, you know, those pieces of wood together um, rather than source them, you know, at the hardware store or, um, you know, somewhere else online. I decided to design and print them because why not? Um, you know, we have these uh, materials and, you know, machines readily available uh, just to show off exactly, you know, what can be designed, what can be printed. Um, have to give some kudos to Slant3D, uh, Gabe Bentz there. Um, he actually posted a video earlier on this week um, through his YouTube page. Uh, definitely go give it a look on exactly how to design um, these type of brackets for you know high scale production 3D printing. Um, so Slant3D has a huge uh, 3D print farm out in Boise, Idaho. Uh, they really know what they're doing over there, guys. Uh, go check them out. Uh, looking into you know that kind of high scale production status that Sentfab is is getting into here on the East Coast, but they've got a nice nice operation going on over there on the on the almost the West Coast. So looking at the uh, bracket design here, uh, trying to take into account some design for additive manufacturing techniques. Um, that's going to be the theme of this whole podcast here this week is DFAM design for additive manufacturing. So in order to design a part that you want to be robust and, and have the easiest time printing least amount of support structures, least amount of post-processing. We want to design this bracket in a certain way that's going to optimize that print time. Um, you know, again, less post-processing, the better, and making sure the print quality actually comes out okay and the part functions the way that we want it to. So the bracket here was, was printed, um, you know, in this kind of uh, triangular, you know, triangular, not cuboidal shape, but uh, kind of full shape instead of a shelled out shape. 
um, in order to print it well for um, you know additive manufacturing, having to print infill patterns, having some of the um, hole structures countersunk so that we can get the screw into place. Um, this print is going to print out actually in um, groups of 12 that kind of optimized the amount of print time that I wanted and um, the number that I could fit uh, on the build volume of the artillery sidewinder X2. Um, it's going to be printed out of just black PLA. Um, you know, this is going to be way more durable than it really needs to be even still in PLA. I think I did about 15% uh, honeycomb infill for this and two walls, two perimeters. Um, we're looking at for the 20 of these that I actually need about 550 grams of PLA with a print time of about 28 hours. Um, we could probably push the print time a little bit further on that. Um, but with some of the print times that we're looking at between 30, 40 millimeters per second, um, you know, that's kind of the print time that, you know, is perfectly fine for this use case. You know, we're looking to get these out within one day anyways. Um, you know, for 20 of them for one single shelf, um, doing on that on one printer on two different builds. Um, you know, the first build of 12 uh, takes about 17 hours. So the next build of eight, you know, we can then expect to take, you know, maybe around 13, 14 hours, um, you know, trying to get that print time down to where you're actually able to swap that print over in one day. Um, so that you can have that next print going um, and still keep that kind of 24 hour period of turnaround time. Um, you know, people kind of balk at some, you know, print times thinking, oh, 28 hours for printing, um, still one day. I mean, how much printing can you really get done in one day? How much regular manufacturing can you get done in one day? Um, you know, for parts like these, that is going to end up costing me 550 grams of PLA, you know, filament. Um, we're we're looking at you know under under twenty five dollars, um, uh, definitely under twenty five dollars. Sorry, under like thirteen dollars worth of filament. Um, so looking at that print time, that turnaround time of about a day, looking at about thirteen dollars worth of material um, in just you know nice solid black PLA. It's going to be kind of hidden underneath the shelves, um, so you're really not going to see it very much. Um, you know, not super, super concerned about surface quality, but, you know, the print's coming out just fine. Um, we're printing with a 0.6 millimeter nozzle. Um, so again, print time versus um, kind of how we design this part is really going to dictate, um, you know, that overall print time and how quickly we can print something and how reliably it'll print. So getting into the kind of theme again of the podcast today, um, and it's actually our tech tip of the week. Um, is the this idea of design for additive manufacturing. So when we talk about how um, we go about a process of either starting with a 3D scan, whether we're in prosthetics and orthotics and we're working with patients, um, or we're starting out with an idea for a part, um, you know, that could constitute the need for measurements or maybe a sketch of you know what we're actually wanting to recreate if it's reverse engineering, um, you know. So whether we're starting out with either of those two items, you have to constantly be thinking about okay, how do I want this part to actually come out? Will its geometry constrain me from printing it well? Um, so look, taking a look at some of the you know geometrical constraints of three D printing. 
through FDM, uh, 3D printing, I should say, you know, again, designed for additive manufacturing, whether you're 3D printing metal, um, whether you're 3D printing through powder bed fusion or FDM, SLA, um, you know, resin printing, there are going to be different considerations for your part design um, based off of that actual, um, you know, printing process that you're, that you're using. You know, we don't have the same requirements for uh, powder bed fusion that we do for FDM 3D printing, for instance. So for powder bed fusion, you know, the, the entire build cake uh, constitutes the actual support material that's used during the print. Um, so we can have these very intricate structures that are printed within this bed of powder um, versus a FDM, you know, spooled filament layer by layer print, where if we're starting to print over, uh, you know, actual overhangs, where we're printing over air, um, if you're 45 degrees or less than that for an overhang angle, you're definitely going to need some kind of support structure. Um, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to get away with no support structure um, when you're using one of the, the typical, um, you know, setups for 3D printing on FDM, unless you're printing with a belt printer, hint, hint, the black belt again, um, you know, printing with a black belt, you print actually at a, a 45, 35, 25 degree angle, I think maybe even down to 15 degrees where you can have uh, a lot less support structures because you're actually building on at that angle, uh, which is pretty interesting. You're not building straight down from the um, X, Y axis. You're actually um, building it just at a slight angle. So um, think about the, you know, the way that you actually want to print your part. And if your part is not actually uh, constrained by, the part um, cost, then you might be able to get away with, you know, a little bit more intricate uh, design with um, having more powder bed fusion. Um, you know, whether we are talking about, um, you know, trying to go for FDM 3D printing and using prototyping processes um, with FDM, and then maybe moving to um, a powder bed fusion like multi-jet fusion from HP, or selective laser sintering uh, through EOS, um, Form Labs, um, or Farsoon, you know, a couple different SLS 3D printer companies. Um, you know, just basically thinking about what is the end product going to be and what is my cost of that part have to be in order for it to be worth it for me to print this thing. So with those cost ideas in mind, um, now we look at the intricacies of, okay, let's say we're setting up a part for FDM 3D printing. Um, with design for additive manufacturing techniques in mind, um, first off, the thing that I think about is our wall thickness. Um, how thick do we actually have to print that part? And how many perimeters, how many times am I going to go around the perimeter of that part um, to create a nice surface finish? as well as to create some structural integrity. So uh, typically we start off with at least two perimeters for surface finish quality purposes, um, you know, increasing it from there, depending on um, the, the level of real structure in integrity that we need. Um, you know, that is also going to be dependent on our nozzle width. 
So the nozzle width being 0 0.4, 0 0.6, 1 millimeter, 1.2, um, going up to 2.5 and even larger with some high-end um, high flow machines like Filament Innovations. Um, you know, we, we can actually get away with, um, you know, more wall perimeters if we go with a, a smaller nozzle or just one single wall thickness and we get into a vase mode 3D printing um, through these, this FDM process where we just have one continuous perimeter extruded. And again, then that complicates things through vase mode 3D printing where we're going to have to constrain our part even further in how we design it. Through vase mode 3D printing, we are printing just the outer perimeter um, of that part. So when we have to have some different um, components and other, other structures that are um, you know, adding onto a prosthetic socket, we do a lot of vase mode 3D printing in prosthetics um, and orthotics for that matter for ankle foot orthoses or something like that. Um, you're you're going to want to think about how you're actually designing that part within whichever software you're using, Mesh Mixer, Fusion 360, um, what have you, and you know seeing how that part is actually going to be integrated within you know another part, say the socket uh, in prosthetics, so that once you go to the slicer, um, don't forget the slicer. Now the slicer is absolutely a, a huge key feature you know, of this design for additive manufacturing. Um, once you put that part in the slicer, is the slicer going to react exactly how you think it's gonna react? So um, yeah, looking at the, uh, the application for your device is going to limit how you set this part up for successful 3D printing. Um, say we aren't printing in base mode and we're printing multiple perimeters. And say I want a, uniform wall thickness of three millimeters. Well, I'm gonna end up doing maybe a one millimeter um, nozzle and three perimeters to go around and make me up that, that three millimeter thickness. Um, you know, that's going to be perfectly fine even if you do have some overlap percentage um, with those perimeters, you're gonna end up having a about a three millimeter um, wall thickness. Now, Infill, when we're talking about infill, um, you know, infill percentage and different infill patterns can have drastically different, um, you know, applications on the same part. So uh, you have to think about infill also as sort of a support material, depending on how you're printing your part, if it's a overall closed part, or maybe it's an open part. Closed meaning like looking at the shelf bracket um, right here that we were looking at, you see that it has, you know, a top surface to that print. Well, if I don't have enough infill percentage or um, the right pattern, then you might not be able to actually close off that top. Um, because if you do a number of top and bottom solid layers um, and you want a closed part, then the top solid layers are just going to droop into the part again. Um, so increasing your uh, infill percentage based off of, again, how you want that surface finish to look and function like um, is going to be pretty crucial. So, you know, having an actual wall thickness or perimeters to dictate kind of your mostly uniform thickness of the part 
And then taking into account those top and bottom solid layers, those will also um, should be, you know, again, the kind of uh, exact number of perimeters, the same wall thickness that you're going to want throughout the part. So, you know, if you increase the number of um, top solid layers, bottom solid layers, then you're going to have a thicker part of that um, design. So, you know, just because you design a part in Fusion 360, once you go to the slicer program like Prusa Slicer, Ultimakers, Cura, what have you, Simplify 3D, um, you might be actually changing the design of the part just by slicing it. And sometimes that can actually be a bet to your benefit um, if you want to get creative with how you're going to, you know, print that final part. So infill percentage, infill pattern is going to play a role in that structural integrity of the part, um, or could also play a role into maybe the cushioning feature of a, of a part. Um, we love to print with Color Fabs VarioShore, um, our Foam Flex Air, uh, flexible inner sockets for the prosthetic market, um, integrate these cushions um, in between the outside and, and inside walls. Um, where we're using uh, an infill pattern, uh, gyroid infill pattern at a certain percentage to actually create that cushioning within the walls um, of that device. So this could have other applications within um, custom seating or, you know, really any other um, type of cushioning. You know, you could have a, a bike seat, um, you know, be very cushioned. Um, you could have a headrest in a car be very cushioned or something else in your car, another, another cushion in your car. Um, maybe we get into some, um, you know, cushioning for uh, these 3D printed homes that are coming out and you have some 3D printed furniture where we have this custom design uh, couch with this cushions, um, you know, printing out a Vario short. It could happen. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We'll see what happens down the line here for us. Just throwing that out there. Um, you know, but, uh, again, there's, there's a lot of ways that you can manipulate your part inner structure to get a different result for how you want your part to function. So looking at that infill percentage, infill pattern, number of walls that you're putting into the part, um, walls, perimeters, looking at the, um, top and bottom solid layers for achieving a nice surface finish. Um, and then really print orientation. Okay, so print orientation, um, for instance, you know, the, the shelf bracket here, again, um, we're printing this uh, at a, on its really a thinnest side that we could, while we don't have really any overhang angles that we have to worry about putting any um, support structure in. We have about a 55 degree angle from the print bed off of the uh, main body of the part. So about 55 is kind of that, you know, sweet spot of that's about as far as we want to go before we start, you know, needing support material past that. Um, so if I oriented this part any other way, I would actually have overhang, um, you know, structures because of these holes that are integrated uh, within the part to a point where it wouldn't be really feasible for me to print it in any other orientation without having to worry about that part, you know, not coming out the way that I want it to. Um, and thinking about uh, some of uh, Slant 3D's suggestions for 
um, you know, how do we scale the um, level of production of a part like this? If we're trying to print out hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of these units, what's going to be the easiest way to print it with the least amount of post-processing and the easiest way to get it off of the print bed too? Um, so went over a little bit about print orientation, um, you know, different slicer settings that you can play around with to alter the features of your part. Um, I would suggest that when you're actually designing your part, um, keep it true to your thicknesses and your design. So any wall thicknesses that you have, any distances, um, you know, maybe you need to take into account some level of shrinkage of the material. If it's polypropylene or a different material that shrinks as it cools, um, you might have a little bit of a tolerance to adjust to uh, according to how your part is being printed and at what resolution. Um, you know, the layer height and resolution is absolutely going to affect the integrity of your part as well. Um, so, you know, having a, you know, a, a 0.4 millimeter layer height versus a one millimeter layer height versus something bigger, um, you know, you want to make sure that those layers are actually going to be sort of squished together. Um, and so the, the material actually bonds um, how it's supposed to in order to create that strongest part that you're looking for. Um, typically, we start out with a layer height that is about half the nozzle width um, as, a, as a good starting point. If we want to be able to squish that layer maybe just a little bit more, maybe we go 0.1 millimeters beneath that, um, that halfway point. Otherwise, you know, again, depending on the print time that you're looking for, uh, increase the layer height. And if you're looking for aesthetics, um, you know, the, the layering can actually be a nice aesthetically pleasing feature in a part. Um, you know, maybe you increase the layer height uh, to get something that is, um, you know, better suited to um, portray light. Uh, maybe you're, you're printing a, um, a light shade um, or, you know, part of a light fixture to you know, dance around light in a, in a cool way with a, a shiny filament or a you know, see-through petchy filament or something like that. Um, you know, so taking into account the actual um, characteristics of the materials that you're using as well, how they flow, um, how well the layers bond together, how quickly do you need to print that part in order for the layer when it comes back around to that same point um to actually bond well um, at whatever temperatures you're going to be printing at so cooling percentages obviously cooling and heating are going to be um, other indicative um, characteristics of the materials itself um, you can only print really as fast as you can cool down a part otherwise you run into warping issues um, and just, uh, you know, maybe you actually don't need any cooling depending on the materials. We've talked about not cooling um, TPU in some instances um, because it cools very quickly just on its own. So, you know, a lot of different considerations there based around, you know, how we're going to design our part and then how we're going to slice our part and how we're actually going to print it. Um, then thinking about any post-processing that we need to do, do we need to plan ahead for that as well? Maybe we're not using the generated, the auto-generated support structures within a slicer. Maybe we're actually designing our own support structures within a part. 
um, that's easily going to be able to break off or just be less uh, waste material um, at the end of the print. So, you know, thinking about your uh, the ways that you're going to support your part uh, during a print could be uh, pretty useful if you want to create your own support structures. Um, I would say the you know the the newer support structures that some slicers are coming out with, um, you know, tree supports. While they look pretty cool, um, only in some instances do they work. If you have a really large flat surface that you're trying to um, to bridge over for support, then you're not going to be able to use tree supports. You'd have to use something like honeycomb or rectilinear support structure like that. That's going to bridge the entire way. So looking at, again, design for additive manufacturing, what does that mean? It means you're taking into account the materials that you're using, the printer that you're using, the design constraints for what your end part needs to be, um, and then looking at what's going to be the easiest way and the cheapest way to print that part. Um, you know, really taking into account, too, um, you know, the um, how that product is going to look uh, when it's finished, right? So if you need to tweak some settings um, in order to get a part to actually look nice at the very end, um, you might have some under extrusion where you're having little blobs of plastic that are basically missing from the part. Um, maybe you have to actually dry out your filament. Maybe you are evaporating some water within the filament while you're printing, and that's that's um, you know assisting the the under extrusion. It's adding to that under extrusion um, that's happening. So drying out your filaments, taking care of your printers as well, making sure there's no clogs in your nozzle, um, actually cleaning out your nozzle from time to time, or replacing your nozzle, making sure you get that perfect print. Um, you know is going to be really really key to having that print be consistent and reliable every time. Um, you know, so one of the other things that we do here at Ascent Fab, uh, we've talked a little bit about in the past, but we go out and do uh, trainings for people. You know, we'll, I was just, um, so we will come, come out to any, um, any site for a couple of days where these people have a printer that we will uh, support. And looking at the actual application for what they want to print. Um, we will take them from step A to Z of either 3D scanning something or going through a reverse engineering process to um, actually come up with that end part that they're looking for. Um, in some cases too, we can test print your part first before you know trying to print it on your own. And, um, you know, in that case, we're, we're trying to print it on our printers here in a set fabrication. And then we end up having, um, you know, those print settings that we know work that we can send you uh, to print as well. Um, so like, for instance, uh, last week, I went out to Buffalo for a training with a um, clinic in prosthetics and orthotics. And we use the Artillery Sidewinder X2 uh, with Mesh Mixer as our uh, design software, uh, Comb Scan as our 3D scanning software, um, and Prusa Slicer as our free slicing program. Um, so looking at that workflow, we were able to uh, take a couple scans of a couple patients 
and they're pretty focused on the pediatric uh, lower extremity and and um, uh, you know lower extremity orthotics, scoliosis, cranial helmets, um, and we wanted to start to print out some of those devices. So went out there uh, for two days, showed them start to finish how to go from that 3D scan um, of a patient to a product that they could successfully and you know be proud of, you know, putting on a patient and fitting it and having a lot of um, you know different benefits for the patient where we added cushioning into the inner boot structure that was a soft material, uh, very sure color fab, having those cushions in in the malleoli, um, you know, for um, extra, you know, cushioning around the bony anatomy, and then a polypropylene AFO lightweight, um, you know, cool colors for the kiddos. We can imprint some designs on that too. Um, so just taking them step by step through that process. Uh, this week, I get to go out to Massachusetts to do the same thing. Um, another group out there in prosthetics and orthotics. Um, and we get to go through the same thing with the artillery sidewinder, as well as the filament innovations Icarus. Um, again, we've, we run the full gambit of you know the, the low-end 3D printers up to um, the more industrial 3D printing. So no matter what your application um, you know, we're, we're really looking to figure out how to print different things. Um, you know, if, if we, you know, haven't printed something before, we're always going to use these design for additive manufacturing techniques to, um, you know, come up with a way to actually print it and, and print it successfully. Maybe we have to go through a couple different materials to find the right material. Maybe we have to go through a couple design iterations of a prototype. Uh, but getting to that end result is is really, um, you know, that step-by-step -step process of figuring out how we're going to design it, how we're going to slice it, how it's going to print, how it's going to get post-processed. Um, so thinking about that entire process all the way through is uh, really what we want to focus on when we're thinking about trying to 3D print something um, with a specific material for a specific process and and looking towards what outcome we're looking for. So, uh, you know, if you're looking for uh, training in that industry in prosthetics and orthotics or um, another industry as well, you know, we have these reverse engineering techniques um, very fine tuned here at AscentFab. Um, so definitely, you know, look into um, what we could offer for training. Um, you know, aside from that, we're just we're trying to create some fun stuff going on here in Saratoga Springs, New York. Um, we're going to create uh, more of a community outreach here where I'd like to start an open print night uh, where people can come in and actually use the 3D printer sort of in like a makerspace kind of way, um, but with a lot of very hands-on focused only 3D printing and design for additive manufacturing uh, instruction right here on site in uh, upstate New York. So uh, people could come in, they can use the 3D printers that we have um, available at that time and some of the different materials that we have to use. Um, don't forget that we also uh, sell a lot of the materials we use as well. Um, so if you're looking for quality materials, uh, people who know how to use them, that's kind of what we're looking to put out there and just help promote you know, additive manufacturing and 3D printing applications for different industries. Um, I've been pretty interested lately in getting into 3D printing um, some furniture. 
and uh, and a couple other things that you know I have some cool ideas on. Um, so this black belt printer printing completely continuously and really almost infinitely as long as we want. Um, that's going to open up some doors to you know 3D printing things that couldn't otherwise 3D be 3D printed. Um, I mean, we're looking at printing like the size of a two by four by by ten feet, you know that that kind of scale, um, you know. Or if we're printing parts over and over and over again in succession, like I want to print these twenty shelf brackets, you know, I can set that up on the black belt, and with its dual extrusion, we could have ten of those printed, um, probably in a faster fashion than the twenty that are printing right now on the artillery sidewinder, and they can pop right off the, the end of the bed um, when they're done. And then we can keep on printing that same material for a different, a different device right after that in succession. You can have kind of a print queue going on so you can upload different things and move them around uh, based off of uh, where you want them on the bed, but also where you want them in the queue. Um, so that's going to be really cool and interesting. Uh, we're getting our black belt here within the next couple of weeks and uh, really, really interested to find a lot of very practical applications um, for this type of 3D printing. You know, we're, we're printing a lot of things that are very, um, you know, more in the household kind of space now. Um, so I, I printed myself a floating shelf that's going to become one of our products um, in different lengths and different sizes, different colors, different couple different materials maybe, um, and 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 you know we had a, a ladder sh uh, the shelf um, idea here that we're going to start printing as well on the black belt, um, printing all those parts, and so the shelf the um, we just printed ourselves a garbage can the other day. We're going to print ourselves a recycling bin because I said, okay, well, people are putting some recycled things into the garbage bin. Why are we doing that? Come on, we're we're looking at saving materials, not uh, you know tossing something that could be recyclable in the garbage. So we're going to print a recycle bin too now. Guess you know we actually have to do that. Um, so we've got a, a recycle bin that prints out in uh, just like two hours, um, two three hours, something like that in in vase mode. Um, and, you know, practical applications for 3D printing, uh, there's so many different applications for printing that, you know, really we haven't even touched on yet. Um, there are some, you know, companies that, that I know about that are kind of keeping some things behind secret doors and, um, you know, a, a lot of different products definitely will be coming out in the coming years. Um, that you might not even know is actually 3D printed. There are some stuff that's out there printed already. Um, you know, I'm I'm 99% sure, but the top on my Yeti, um, my Yeti thermos for coffee thermos, I'm 99% sure that is 3D printed MJF vapor smoothed. Um, you know, haven't reached out to Yeti to ask them, but it looks exactly like an MJF part that I've seen before. Um, and doesn't specifically look three um, injection molded. So there might already be 3D printed objects in your daily life that you might not even know about. Um, and I see that number increasing, you know, here in the near future. So um, looking to kind of get into more practical applications in our everyday life um, for 3D printing, you know, 3D printing furniture, 3D printing, um, again, just daily things that we could be using in our homes that could 
otherwise we could have a printer and print it on demand um you know not having to uh pay for shipping not having to wait you know long lead times for different parts um also wanted to highlight almost forgot the uh, i had a part that failed on my um, garage door uh, last week it was a, a gear that was up in the motor box and I, I designed the gear, uh, reverse engineered the gear. My, my 3D printing technician, Spencer, and I worked on this uh, design and printed it in about three hours with a 0.6 nozzle on the Ultimaker 2 Plus Connect, um, you know, out of a TPU um, that is, was Armadillo from NinjaTech. And really, really robust stuff. Armadillo is crazy strong. I think it's in the the D shore range. Uh, don't quote me on that. I think it was in the D shore range. Um, so really more like a rubber um, than kind of a you know more flexible TPU. But um, yeah, a lot of different daily applications um, that you know I couldn't otherwise find this garage gear on the company's website. So I redesigned it and printed my printed myself one and it's working perfectly fine now in my house. So um, a lot of different applications. Um, if you have any questions about things that you're looking to try to design and print, we'd love to work through that with you here at Ascent Fab. Um, hopefully this was a little bit more helpful in kind of starting to get your mind to think about, you know, how I want to use 3D printing either in my clinical practice in prosthetics and orthotics um, or elsewhere outside of that. Um, you know, think about those design criteria that you're looking for and really utilize those techniques to focus in on how best to print your part. So thanks very much for listening into this uh, week's episode of Fabrication Friday. Tune in next week for some more fun. All right. Thanks.